0: Okay, so my name is Justin Thorne, I'm the director of multiplication is my, is my term, which is, just feels like math, and most people who don't either know Jesus or don't know kind of the church planning world are just confused by my title, so it just means I help churches make disciples, who make disciples, who plant churches, who plant churches, who make more disciples, that's my job. Uh, for Michigan and Northwest Ohio, I love church planning, I've been in church planning since I got into ministry and uh, the first church plant was, I was 23 years old, and me and my wife went on a journey with eight people in a living room and started from there, and been in it ever since. I love the ex nihilo about it, you know? The same way that God God creates the world. It's a Latin term, out of nothing, ex nihilo. He does church planting, right? So there's nothingness in the world. Nothingness, just darkness, chaos, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And then out of that darkness and nothingness and chaos... God creates order and beauty and complexity. And I'm all about it right now. We just had our fourth kid, right? Amen? Can we get a little? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're tired and very scared. But thank you for the clap. So we just had our our fourth kid. And I just, again, watched that miracle of this bump growing bigger and a mother's body just nurturing a child inside of a womb. And then, then I watched the birth. I'm one of them guys who like watches the birth and then just the miracle of that and then watching mother's body take care of the baby afterward. It's just it's crazy how out of nothingness God creates the complexity and the beauty and the joy that we see all around us all the time. Does the same thing with church planning. Same exact thing with starting a church. There's darkness and there's nothingness in the corner of a city. There's no gospel presence. There's no, there's no light. There's no life. God changes one life. Right? Transforms one life. Picks them up, turns them around, sets their feet on solid ground, and, and now they can't help but talk about Jesus. Right? You ever, you ever met those, those, those people who just gave their life to Christ? It's like they can't stop talking about Jesus. So they can't stop talking about Jesus, and they start telling people about Jesus, and, and now you have two believers, and now you have three, and now you have six, and they start making disciples who make disciples, and now you got 12, and now what you have in the church planning world, we, we call it a, a core team. And that core team, that small team, they're going to take on the world. They don't care. They're just going to do whatever. And if it doesn't work, they're going to kill it the next day and start something brand new. That's why I love church planting, right? And they're going to start pushing back the darkness in that corner of the city. It's beautiful. That's what we study in Acts 16 today. We're going to be in Acts 16. Uh, It's a fascinating study. If you want to just study the whole chapter sometimes, we don't have time to go through the whole uh, chapter today, but... Uh, study it sometime, study it today, study it tonight if you want to. Um, really, as as he creates, as, as he creates something out of nothing in ancient Philippi, and by the way, there's nothing there because the Roman Emperor Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome, and and they started burning synagogues, and and Philippi is a Roman territory, so we're, we're visiting the first core team members in ancient Philippi, and, and they're underground, right? They're just... There's Jews and Gentiles, we call it diaspora, everybody's scattered. And you're going to notice in in Acts 16, like in the rest of the New Testament, God does not pick special people. He doesn't pick the amazing orders, the microphone geniuses. He doesn't pick the really charismatic people, the really successful people. He doesn't pick special people, right? And this is for a number of reasons. One is because God has a fascination and a deep love for the ordinary. And he wants to fill them with his his extraordinary mission and his extraordinary spirit. We don't have time for all these reasons. But number two is because those special people tend to steal his glory. Right? Those are just glory robbers. So he picks the ordinary, the nobodies, the no ones, and their friends. And he builds something out of nothing. And it's brilliant. So I want to invite you onto this uh, journey with me. As we jump into this fascinating study in Acts 16, I'll get there in about six to seven minutes. We'll see how this goes. Um, Really, it's a study of the dangerous church. The dangerous church. And if you're someone who takes notes and and, and likes titles and that sort of thing, that's what you have right here. It's it's the dangerous church. It's a study when uh, the people of God move with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is always moving, always trying to transform lives, always trying to bring light into the darkness. But it's a study of what what happens when The people of God actually move with the Spirit of God. They take risks. They're obedient. uh, They get out of their comfort zone. uh, They they get rid of their uh, idolatry of comfort. And they decide, we're going to follow Jesus wherever Jesus takes us. And and that creates danger. And I say this word danger with all affection. This creates danger uh, for our own comfort, uh, for the cultural status quo. It creates danger for Satan. So he starts acting a fool and he starts churning things up, right? It just creates danger. And once you're a part of this dangerous church, once you're a part of this journey, this dangerous church, you can't help but just not want to go back to sleepy church. You can't help it. Like, I want, I want to be a part of that. This, this feels like something I need to be a part of. It's like, it's like a ride that you don't want to get off of. Um, this is going to be a metaphor that falls really short. But here we go anyway. I drive a Ford F-150. Now, anybody else drive a truck I didn't see that many out there. Thank you. Okay. So one person will really feel this metaphor. Everyone else tune me out for 35 seconds. Okay. I I used to drive, I I drove cars my whole life. Like when I was, started from 16 years old, these little whizzers that whiz around the city. I just drive these little cars. And then we have three kids, so it's time for an SUV. And so now I'm up a little bit in the SUV. And you're you're up a little bit, right? Maybe some leather. You can actually put your arm here, okay? In a car, you're just eh. so. Here I'm up a little bit, and then I I I go to rent a car one day. I rent a lot of cars for the district, and I get this F one fifty because they're out of cars. I sit in this thing. I'm like, oh, what is this? What is this thing? There's room for everything. Little Priuses are getting out of my way, and I'm just going right. There's just space, and I'm effective, and people are calling me, ask, well, you have a truck today? Can I use it for this? No, and I'm just, it's just, everybody needs me. It's just an amazing journey in this new big F-150, so my wife becomes a travel nurse, and that just so happened to be pretty lucrative during the whole COVID journey, and so now she's like, babe, I want you to go get a truck, and I'm like, deal, okay, so I go get one of these things, and so now here's, here's where I'm at. I sit in a car, and I'm like, where's the rest of it? Why does it sound like a battery-powered lawnmower? Like, where, where's the rest of the oomph? You know, the power, the strength, the people getting out of my way. Where is where's that, right? Again, a metaphor that falls deeply short, but at least tries to communicate this. Once you're a part of the dangerous church, the church on mission, the church moving, the church shaking things up. The church where, where people are coming to Christ, people are getting healed, people are finding salvation. Atheists are coming. Once you're a part of this, you start looking around going, where's the rest of it? Let's, let's take this somewhere else. And so this is where we're picking it up. We're picking it up in Paul's journey. Um, again, I, got, I, have, I have a couple more metaphors to get out of the way before we do that. But I, I want to I do this because it's, it's really unhelpful if you see the vision for the dangerous church, but you decide to compare it with Sio Community Church. Because Sio Community Church is the church in one sense. But like we'll talk about in a life cycle, every, every church has uh, up, down, life, death, uh, stabilization. Every church has that. The church on the road is not the church. You personally are the church. You personally are the ownership and the accountability and the makeup of, of the church and if you go levels removed and you go the big C American church or you think about Sio community church and we go through this whole vision on on what the dangerous church looks like and you start putting it on everybody else and pastor Ted and pastor Ted's pastoral brother you start putting it on everybody else but yourself well now we're relieving ourselves of ownership because I personally am the makeup of the church you personally are the makeup of the church it's like this shirt. You could say, Justin, that's an ugly shirt. And you could hold me accountable for this shirt. You could say, I can't believe you bought that. And you could even look at the tag. Please don't. I'm an introvert. I don't like when people touch me all the time. But you could look at the tag and go, I'm not buying a shirt from that company. And you can hold us. We have ownership and accountability. But you know who really needs the ownership and accountability? The designer of the shirt. The, the people that actually made up the shirt conceptualized, figure out what the fabric was going to look like, the design was going to look like, and they're the actual makeup of the shirt. So really, who you need to hold accountable for this ugly shirt is them. Right? You are the makeup of, of the church. And so if you go levels removed, you're going to miss it. One more metaphor. It's just like when you get called to go to a party, and you're like, who's going? And then your friend calls another friend. Who's going? And everybody goes, Who's going? I'm not going if they don't go. And all of a sudden, you have a party with nobody there. Right? Because nobody has accountability and ownership over what actually needs accountability and ownership over. So, this is what I'm saying. When we look at this passage and we look at these three core members, the first core members of the church in Philippi, look inwardly. We get in this habit as Christians and we search the scriptures, which is a good thing. It's what we're going to do. I promise we'll get there. We search the scriptures. But at some point, the scriptures have to search you, or else you didn't get there. So, Holy Spirit, pray with me. Holy Spirit, can the scriptures search us? We don't just want to search Acts sixteen and study this dangerous church and this these people that make up the church. We we want the scriptures to search us. Because the truth is, God, we don't we don't need this building. Uh, we don't need a, a gathering to be followers of you. We, we come here because we want to be a part of something. We want to be a family on mission. But we know that we all personally need to take ownership over what that mission looks like. So would you let the uh, scriptures search us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we pick it up in Paul's uh, missionary journey. Paul's traveling along a trade route. He's trying to uh, create gospel havoc. Him and his his band of brothers uh, and sisters. Uh, you, you definitely have Luke there. He's the writer of Acts. And Luke, uh, he's the uh, he's a physician. Uh, we definitely have uh, uh, Silas here. Uh, We'll find out soon. Just a squad trying to create gospel havoc. So they're planting churches. They're empowering people. They're doing just that. They go to Derby and Lystra first. They empower Timothy next. Uh, And then they circumcise Timothy, which is a very confusing job interview. It's just like, you're it, buddy. You're the new pastor. Aw, we're going to circumcise you. Oh, you know, what kind of turn did that take? That's another sermon for another time. It's just so he's a good missionary to his culture, right? And then they go to Persia and Galatia. The Holy Spirit stops them from going to the west coast of Asia Minor. Luke doesn't tell us why, but you could just tell these are our people following the Holy Spirit, being obedient to God, taking whatever risks God wants them to take. Mysia, and then finally Tros, that's where we pick it up. Verse 11, we're finally in the scripture. Here we go. So setting sail from Tros, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And following the day to to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia. This is just funny because it's not the leading city, uh, but we just can make a kind of a theological uh, uh, assumption that Luke loves this place because he's an a, he's a physician, uh, and they have they're just they're just groundbreaking. Maybe he roots for their sports team. I don't know, but this is just Luke trash talking essentially, which is leading us this, the leading city of the district of Macedonia, in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. So, they're looking for the place where prayer was. All right, that's the that's kind of the direct interpretation. Mostly because if Jews and Gentiles were going to put together some sort of makeshift synagogue, it would be by the water so they could do ritual cleansing. They're looking to share the gospel. We sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Our first core team member is Lydia. And her name's not actually Lydia, which bothered me. I almost named one of my girls Lydia. Uh, she's from Thyatira, that used to be called Lydia. So this is a nickname, right? Uh, woman from Lydia. It's like calling you person from Ann Arbor. Um, if you really want to upset your spouse one day, just don't relax Ann Arbor. Just give them, just just give it to him, and don't text me how that goes. That might not go well. But so th- there's a nickname of this of this woman named Lydia. Uh, She's a seller of, of expensive fabrics. She's in a city where it's just bustling. It's a trade route. She's in a perfect spot. We can assume she's a boss lady, okay? She's got people under her. The people in her household are people that work for her most likely. So this is a boss lady. She's an influencer. She's getting stuff done. And she decides we're going to find God down by the water, okay? She's Asian as well, if I didn't mention that. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come stay at my house and uh, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Um, She prevailed upon us. My theological assumption is that she had food. What else does it mean? She uh, you have bread and cheese. Okay, you win. Here we go. So they come over to they come over to her house. Oh, their whole family gets baptized. Everybody there. Now we have our first core family. Our first core family. And uh, she's a leader. She's an influencer. She's a, she's an important person. But more importantly, she's dangerous church fabric. And I'm gonna explain the difference between dangerous church fabric and sleepy church fabric before I move on uh, and before I tell you what characteristics she represents. But, But I say dangerous again with all affection. Because if it's one thing that the American church needs, it's to be woken up. We gotta wake up. We have this idol of comfort. And at some point, the bride of Christ became about us. It no longer became, how do we prepare for the bridegroom? It became, how do I find the church with the best children's ministry for me? And we even invented this term, which is a little bit abhorrent if you think about it, called church shopping. We leave one place because it didn't have the exact color of the carpet that we wanted, and we start to go church shopping And what are we, it's just like, it's it's price comparison on Amazon. It's just like, what do we want? Who's got the reviews? Let's gossip about it and figure out, does that preacher preach well? Does that singer sing well? And and we've invented this, this, this comfortable church that fits our needs exactly, and we need to be woken up. If for any church in the book of Revelation, it's the church of Laodicea, where God says, you're lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth. Would you be hot or cold? Would you wake up? Do something. I think Satan largely, uh, largely just leaves us alone, doesn't he? The American church. If you've ever been overseas, if you've ever done mission trips overseas, you know the spiritual warfare is crazy. It's in your face. Here, I think Satan's just like, just leave them alone. They build big churches in the suburbs. They come to hear someone talk. They come to hear someone sing. And then they go home. And in our quiet time, In our prayer closet, we just start to think to ourselves, in in, in our moments of of true reflection and soberness, we think to ourselves, where's the rest of it? Is there something more? And I put, I'm I'm this church's fabric. I'm not trying to come judge you this morning. I get comfortable. I stop sharing the gospel in the places that I need to. my, My boldness finds a cap to it. My love is limited. I know God has more for us. Uh, Lydia is one of these dangerous church people, and she has this characteristic that I think we all need. The dangerous church, the church on mission, is full of people breaking out of the four walls. It's full of people breaking out of the four walls. See, Lydia is bringing her people down to the water. There is actually no church down by the water. There's no synagogue down by the water. There's no structure. Remember, they're they're expelled from Rome and they're expelled from Philippi as well because it's a Roman territory. Uh, And and there's no actual synagogue service because you needed 10 men. You thought the patriarchy was strong now. The patriarchy was strong then, folks. You need 10 men in order to have a real synagogue service. Otherwise, it wasn't real church. You know where Lydia's at? I don't care. That's where she's at. And she's not being disobedient to religion because as soon as Paul opens his mouth and shares the gospel, her heart is ready, it's good soil. But her heart is, I don't care. I'm going to find God. I don't need Roman permission. I don't need four walls. I don't need a special priest. I don't need an orator. I don't need any of it. I'm bringing my people and I'm going to a place of prayer because I want to find God. Amen? She doesn't need four walls. She doesn't need it. And this is the type of heart we need to have. This is is where we need to be at. We don't need a priest. We don't need Pastor Ted. We don't need me. We just don't need us. Now, it's important to, to come together and to galvanize and to get mission and to get purpose. And it's important to disseminate the word of God to people. But the truth is you can disseminate the word of God to people. The truth is you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The truth is, your maturity should take you to a place where you're a priest over your neighborhood, over your job, over the people that God gave you. And if we wait till you can bring them to Pastor Ted, we're never going to get to them. If you wait till they show up in this building, we're never going to get to them. And so I hear us praying and I hear us singing, God, give us the nations. And he's like, okay, well, then go. Let's go. You're it, you're the goers. I mean, really, we gather, but we gather to go. (laughs) Really, we come together, but we come together to get our marching orders. We come together, but really, it's just for us to be a launch pad. For this place, for this moment to be a a rally cry so that we can go out our separate directions and be the priesthood of all believers. One day I was... uh, having pillow talk with my wife and it was a long day and uh, she she worked a 13-hour shift. She works in the NICU, um, infant ICU, and she was telling me all the, all the things that were going wrong in the NICU and all the babies uh, that were on life support and things like that and how she was ministering to their families. And all I could think of is First of all, I had compassion for my wife, and I was trying to listen like a good husband does. (laughs) I was trying not to interrupt her. Um, But all I was thinking was, my wife is so much better of a priest than I am. And you understand, I'm just using New Testament language for pastor, okay? She's a better pastor than I am. She's around people who don't know Jesus a lot more than I am. She's in their darkest and, and deepest moments and she's praying with them, and she's being Jesus to them. And I just had this moment of, like, why do I think my job is more important than everybody's? Why do we think this job, this official priesthood, is more important than the priesthood of all believers? It's not. Why do we think these walls are more important than all the other walls? They're not. God wants to find the ordinary, love them with a radical love, and give them an extraordinary mission. And you're it. So our first core team member has this desire to get out of the four walls. Next core team member, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. This is why I love church planning. So you have a rich Asian fashionista, and you have a slave girl met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed to you the way of salvation, and she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that, excuse me, very hour. The next convert and uh, and core team member is a, a girl who is a slave to both the physical and the supernatural and the spirit world. Okay, so she's a physical slave and that her owners use her uh, physically to do fortune telling for other people and they pay her and the owner's money. I'm sure the owners get all the money. And then she's a, a slave to the spirit world and that there's she's demon possessed. Uh, it's called a Pythian spirit, a spirit through whom the python speaks. All right, just nasty stuff. All right, so she's messed up, folks. And I don't know if you saw it, But it's not like Paul was looking for her to be the next core team member. It's not like Paul was in his prayer closet and he's like, let's go after the Pythian spirit girl. No, he turns to her out of frustration. You know, his britches are in a bunch. And he yells at her. Come out. In the name of Jesus. He commands. And now she's free from both that that spirit, that oppressive spirit, and she's free from these owners. Because now she's She's given a whole new ethic, right? And at the same time, her owners can't use her anymore because she doesn't have that spirit. Uh, a couple of side roads here. Um, the first side road is may, maybe you've only been open to one form of healing. Maybe, maybe you're only open to the physical healing of Christianity, but you're not open to the spiritual healing of Christianity. You know, we, we fight against the principalities of darkness, and so maybe you're open to just this, you're open to being healed from the spirit world, but you're not open to being healed from the physical. I, I don't know. Um, just asking God to search your heart on that. Have you been open to God uh, healing the whole of you, the all of you, uh, your past woundings, your past brokenness? And then the second side road is this. Um, if you're actually following Jesus, if you're being obedient to the spirit, mission will find you. Like broken people will find you. You ever start getting obedient and you're all like, gosh, I'm surrounded by broken people now? <laughs> it's like maybe I go back to not being obedient because this is getting crazy. This Paul isn't looking for. It. This girl finds him and he uh, is, is, is frustratedly, uh, frustratingly, uh, frustratingly obedient. And, and this girl is now part of this core team and she becomes part of this mission. The dangerous church, this church on mission, will stir up Satan's hornet's nest. It will stir up Satan's hornet's nest. So there's just opposition everywhere, and you can expect it. You know, expectation's big. I'm a big expectation guy. Maybe this is for you too. Like, if you expect that you're gonna have a hard day, you expect that you gotta go to the dentist, you expect that you have, a, a, have to have a hard conversation, you pray differently, right? You set your day up differently. You, you set it up in your mind. But if a bunch of stuff is sprung on you, it's much harder. And, and this is for Christianity. Like, if you expect opposition, you'll handle it differently. You'll handle, handle it with maturity. You'll handle it with prayer. You'll fight back through prayer uh, you'll you'll be more obedient because you're setting up the day to be obedient. You're asking God for your daily bread. You're forgiving people in the morning. You're praying the Lord's prayer. These are you're setting yourself up differently. But but it's the immature Christian who expects nothing, and therefore they respond like. Let me just give you a few forms of opposition you could face. You will face spiritual warfare. I mean, you in a sense being part of the dangerous church are pulling back a fiery arrow and just firing it into Satan's camp. So you can expect it's going to stir up Satan's hornet's nest. And he's coming back at you. And it's a good thing. It feels like a terrible thing, but it's a good thing. You can expect uh, persecution. Right? You can expect it. I mean, right now, Christians are going crazy. They're like, we're going to lose our tax status. I mean, so what? So what? You don't think God has this? If we lose our tax status, if we don't have our cushion, you don't think he's got this? I mean, we just, we just get all stirred up, and, and, and we react out of a lack of expectation. Think about this from you know, an American perspective. Sometimes we think that persecution is like someone voting different than us. That's immaturity. That's not persecution. Persecution is when someone comes against your faith in Jesus. So we have a lack of expectation. Uh, we, can, we can expect uh, cultural backlash. I mean, I, I don't know if any of you expected this years ago, but I, I, I never expected our cultural backlash to be, we believe that God created man and woman. Right? Now you have cultural backlash for that. You have cultural backlash for uh, marriages between a man and a woman. So the immature Christian doesn't expect that and they get online, and they're online terrorists, right? They're keyboard terrorists. They're yelling at everybody. They're hiding behind things. It it lacks relationship. It lacks connectivity. It lacks love. It lacks grace. It lacks context. It lacks understanding. We're just fighting people. Fighting people all over the place, because we never expected it. Why not? Just expect it to stir up Satan's hornet's nest. You're going to face some things. And can you face them in wisdom and grace and love and discernment? Can you fa- face them filled with the Spirit? Case in point, uh, we move on. The slave girls' owners get Roman officials to beat, uh, beat Paul and, and, and Silas, and they flog them. Uh, so they're beat up. I mean, they look like UFC fighters, okay? They just got, they got smashed, and, and they get thrown into prison, right? Because this girl gives her life to God, and all of a sudden, she's a brand new person. And therefore, she has a new uh, work ethic, sexual ethic, human ethic. Everything is totally different. Look, there's, there's resurrection in her future, so there's death in her past. People don't like when there's death in your past. So this girl, she's resurrected into brand new life, and the death that she leaves behind her is frustrated. So there's opposition. Same with you. You're living a brand new resurrected life in front of people, and so they're upset that there's death behind you. You used to be this person, and I like that about you. I like that we could get into trouble together. I like that we could, you know, get into drama together. And now you're not that way. They don't like when there's death behind you. So this is what happens with this girl. There's resurrection in front of her, so there's death behind her, and the people don't like it. They have Paul beaten, flogged, and thrown into prison. So Paul's in prison. Again, they got black eyes and broken ribs, I'm sure. These people were beaten. Rods, staffs. Are they yelling at the culture? Are they yelling at God? They're worshiping. They worship at 12 a.m. They're singing hymns throughout the prison because they expected opposition. They're celebrating that there's opposition. They know they're doing something right. They're becoming the dangerous church and they're stirring things up. So they're worshiping. Holy Spirit fills the place. There's an earthquake. It's a very intentional earthquake because it breaks their chains and it opens their door. So the jailer knows this is no normal earthquake because it just so happened to break their chains off perfectly and the doors are open. He thinks to himself, I'm a Roman jailer. I have to take my own life. This is my fault. So Paul says what? No, 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 no. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Goes to the Roman jailer's house. The whole household comes to Jesus. So now we have our core team. Here's the last point. Dangerous church, the church on mission will be messy. What do you get when you have a Roman jailer, a former, a former demon-possessed possessed slave girl, and an Asian fashionista? The Philippian church. Can you imagine that, for, that first annual meeting? They're trying to get something done. They're trying to figure out what, what type of food to have. They're trying to figure out what, sh- should they try to get a building? Right? Can you imagine the tension that could be formed in that place? But this is the type of church that God wants to build. We typically try to build everything from a mono perspective, monocultural, monoethnic, mono-socioeconomic, because it's comfortable to us. But God wants to build a dangerous, messy church. Eclectic, broken, needing the Holy Spirit. How about you? Do you personally want to be a part of the dangerous church? Again, Sio can be a part of that journey. But it's just a part of that journey. It's not the journey. You're going to leave this place. You're going to remember maybe a few sentences from this message. But you're going to need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and go on mission anyway. (laughs) So, do you want to be part of the dangerous church? In order to be part of the dangerous church, you're going to need to leave something that you're clinging to as safety. So you have to figure out what is that. What do, what do I? Need? Why, why? Why do I need four walls to be a follower of Jesus? Why do I need things to look a certain way to be a follower of Jesus? Why have I not? talk to my neighbors about Jesus. Why do the people at work not know that I'm a follower of Jesus? You need to figure out what what safety net you're holding on to or resting into before you're able to be a part of the dangerous church. And you're going to need to probably repent of it and kick that idol off your shelf. Karate chop it, I don't know. Chuck Norris, anybody remember Chuck Norris? I don't know. Let me pray for us. I'm just going to give, I don't know, 30 seconds here to let God sift our hearts and figure out what what are we holding on to? What are we resting in that's too safe? What are you personally leaning on? Uh, This crutch that you're leaning on and, and, and you need to give up that crutch and lean on Jesus. Would you just let the Holy Spirit sift your heart? Yeah, before I pray, I'd like to make a confession myself. Um, you know, what I lean on is that I, I get a cheat code, right? I'm in full-time ministry. So making disciples is professional for me. And there are times where I think that God might call me out of full-time ministry and maybe just be part-time and, and I would be in the secular world and it would be more... I'd be around more people who don't know Jesus. And i gotta—I got to be honest, that scares me. Because this is what I know now. And so maybe I'm holding on to that. So God, I, con- I confess that maybe I'm holding on to that. I confess that maybe I have my own safety net. And I surrender. If you want me to do something else... Uh, at least part-time or even if you want me to leave ministry altogether and just do ministry out in the secular world, would you just, would you just be honest with me about that? Uh, my friends have similar confessions of the heart in the room. I pray that you heard those confessions. I know you're a God who searches the heart, the meditations of the heart. And I pray that we would surrender to you I pray this whole church would surrender to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.